Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Today is our uh, last Sunday, uh, working our way through the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're going to pick up the Gospel of Luke again next year in preparation actually for Easter, kind of work our way towards celebrating Jesus' resurrection together. Uh, But this is our last Sunday in this great book and all these great parables uh, for now. And the parable we're going to look at today, uh, actually Jesus tells, and we know when, it's right near the end of his life. It's right before his final week in Jerusalem. It's actually on his way As he's journeying towards Jerusalem, he's in a place called Jericho, which is just about a day's journey from Jerusalem. And so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19. That's where this parable of the king and the ten minas can be found. Uh, Your Bible might call it something else, and we'll talk about what a mina is in a minute. Uh, But this parable raises a question that I would love for you to consider today. And the question is, what makes work good? What makes work good? And I, I am actually talking about primarily like your professional work. When you, when you go to work, if you go to work, what makes work good? And it's an important question because uh, average person works 38.7 hours a week. And if you add that up over a lifetime, an adult lifetime, that'll be 90,000 hours over a lifetime. Roughly one-third of your life, if you're average, will be spent working. That's a lot of your life. And if following Jesus is about all of our lives surrendered to him and done in a way that honors him, well, we need to think clearly about what kind of work does God think is good? And how do we work in such a way that honors God? And how can we get closer to that ideal? And so this parable is going to address that. And in fact, it's actually about a lot more than that. It's not simply about work. Uh, but work is one of those aspects that I have experienced a lot of confusion myself about what the Bible teaches, and perhaps you have too. And so uh, we're going to address specifically that and then apply it more broadly than that. So teens, still applies to you. Kids, this still applies to you. Because as you're going to see, you have things that have been entrusted to you by God, and there's something he wants you to do with those things. So that's what we're going to look at. So Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Again, if you have your own Bible, that'd be great for you to follow along. And if you don't, that's all right. We'll put it on the screen. If you're watching online, you can follow along on the screen as well. Here's what it says. Uh, As they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because, and then this is super helpful, Luke gives us the reason why Jesus is telling this parable. Uh, Because Jesus was near Jerusalem, and they thought... The kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Now, to get this, you have to remember people's expectations about Jesus. They were looking for God's king. They were looking for a king like David in the Old Testament, a king who would rule in Jerusalem and rule from Jerusalem, and then would be such a good king that the nations would stream to Jerusalem. That's what they were looking for. And no one imagined that it would 
work out the way Jesus and God had planned to work things out. And again, they all thought, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to take off his rabbi robes and put on his crown. Like, that's, that's what they're waiting for. That's what they're expecting. And Jesus tells this parable specifically, say, okay, yes, I am the king, but not the way you think. And more importantly, my kingdom is not going to appear right away, at least in the, thing, in the way you think it will. will. So he goes on. Therefore, Jesus said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. So just quick reference, and your Bible might have even translated this. A mina was about uh, three months worth of wages, right? Three months worth of wages for an average worker. So it's a significant amount of money, and he trusts each servant with the same amount. He gives them each a mina, and he says, engage in business until I come back. I am coming back, hopefully even as king, and then I'm going to check in on what you've done with what I've entrusted to you. And this gets us at the point of the parable. And there's a point for them and a similar point for us. The point for them is that Jesus wanted people to understand that his full reign, his complete kingship would be delayed. He's going to Jerusalem. He's only a day away. And he wanted people to understand it's not going to be full kingship yet. And not only that, not only will there be a delay, but if you are a follower of me, he's saying, you have responsibilities to do in the meantime until that reign is complete. And the point for us is this, that God has entrusted you and I with resources. He's given us Amina, and he wants us to put that to work until his return, right? What did he tell? Engage in business until I come back. And this raises questions, right? What exactly does this mina represent? What has God entrusted you with? And what does it mean and look like to be faithful with it? Because as we'll see in a moment, we will be held to account for what we did with it. We will be judged, um, held responsible, held accountable. So Jesus goes on. uh, And I skip verse 14 for a reason. If you're following along, we'll go back to verse 14 later. Uh, At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. It's an impressive return. 10 more minas from one by engaging in business. And he says, Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. Because now this man is the king and he's going to rule this kingdom fully. And he said, now I know I can trust you because you were faithful with what I gave you. And so you are going to be over 10 towns. The second came and said, master, your mina has made five minas. And so he said to him, you will be over five towns. Can entrust him with greater responsibility. And so we're going to pause here for a moment before we go back to what happens in the rest of the parable because there's some important points for us to get. And you will be held to account for how you use and invest what God has entrusted to you. And here is what I want you to get. Is that sometimes we can think like, oh yeah, I'm going to be held accountable. Oh, at the end. But in this parable and in reality that it points to, 
God entrusting us with responsibilities is for a bigger purpose. It's not simply be faithful because you'll be judged. It's what comes after judgment. Do you see that in this parable? Be faithful with this mina because the king, when he returns, he wants to give you more responsibility, more stuff to do, and he'll know if you're ready for that based off what you did with what you've been entrusted with. And this is fascinating because actually if you look at the story of the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you find that this is true, that God wants to entrust us with work and responsibilities and that actually in the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation, there will still be good work to be done in that place. And you don't get a lot of clarity about this, but you do get this very clearly taught in Scripture. For example, at one point, Paul is frustrated with the Corinthian believers because they can't settle disputes with each other. They're fighting, and then they're lawyering up, basically. He's like, come on, this is, this is not the way it should be among Christians. And then he says this. He says, don't you know that we'll judge angels? And I was like, no, I didn't know that. Thanks, Paul. So don't you know that we will judge angels one day? Like, so if that's the kind of responsibility that God is going to entrust to us then, like, let's start being more responsible now. Can't you settle disputes now? Or in Revelation, talks about uh, the kings of the nations bringing their wealth and their treasures and their goods into the new Jerusalem. That there will be, still be producing good things uh, that are produced to the glory of God. And so... Here, here's something I want to get at. Again, we, we start with that question of um, what kind of work does God value? What kind of work is good in God's eyes? And I want you to understand that in the church tradition I grew up with, it was kind of like, well, there's, there's holy work, like being a pastor or missionary, and then there's secular work, like everything else. And that's kind of okay because you can get money to support them. Now, I don't know if you grew up in a church tradition like that, uh, but if you did, I want you to understand that's not actually true to the Bible. When Adam and Eve dug their hands into the soil to keep the garden, was that holy work? Was that good work that God had given them to do? Yes. And when Jesus came, he came not only to reveal what God is like, but what humans are supposed to be like. And for most of his adult life, he was a builder. The word is tecton in Greek. A lot of people think he was a carpenter. Uh, more likely, he would have been a mason. But whether he was working with stone or wood, he, he was a, bu- a builder. The, the closest equivalent is probably like a general contractor. Do we have any contractors here today? Right? You, you're like Jesus. <laughs> We're like, wait, what, what? Holy work, right? No. Was Jesus being holy when he stacked one stone upon another? measured them out, made buildings that were good. Yes, that too is holy work. In fact, the first mention of the Holy Spirit empowering someone to do work is not about a prophet. It's actually about Bezalel. You can find it in Exodus. And Bezalel was a craftsman. It's the first mention of the Holy Spirit empowering someone for work. And it's for craftsman-type work, for sculpting and for making beautiful things that would ultimately adorn the tabernacle that they created in the wilderness. That's why I think Colossians 3 says this, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. 
You serve the Lord Christ. Paul can say with total confidence, right? Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you're a teacher or a stay-at-home parent or a nurse or you keep the books that keep all those things in line, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord. This too is holy good work. And so we, we think about that question, like what makes work good? I don't want you to think with a simplistic, oh, like missionaries and pastors, that's good holy work and everything else is like, eh. no, that's not what the Bible says. And that's important to get right because your mina, what God has entrusted you with, includes your work. Your mina means your, your entire life. And God has called you to be faithful with it and fruitful with it. And that includes your work. Now, it includes a lot of other things as well. Uh, we'll talk about those in a couple minutes. But just one last thing about work. Um, what kind of work does God value? What makes work good? And uh, I actually took an entire class on this uh, when I was working through seminary and in my master's program because it fascinated me. I wanted to understand it. And um, here's kind of a very, very simplistic summary, but hopefully helpful for you. What makes work good? Uh, work is good that provides, right? Part of the purpose of work is just to provide for you and your family. That's good. Making a paycheck to pay for life, that's a good thing. <laughs> also, work is good that contributes to the well-being of other people in some way or another. Right? If you're an architect, it's making buildings that serve the well-being of people. Or if you're a builder, right, making sure you're building things that aren't going to fall down when people go to use them, right, that, that contribute to the well-being of other people, that kind of make this world just a little bit better. And finally, work is good that utilizes your unique mix of talents and skills and passion because we're not just called to be faithful with our work but fruitful with it. And so we should kind of seek to try and figure out those places where we're maybe uniquely better than the average person at doing those things, where we get better results because we're just more naturally skilled at it or more passionate about it. And so here's what I want you to see. Um, life being what it is, sometimes you just have to do what provides for you and your family. And you don't have a choice in the matter, right? This is the only job you can get for a season or this is the only job you can get that can support your family for a season. That is totally fine. But what I want to say is, as much as you are able, being faithful with your mina, I think, means trying to aim for the center of all three circles, the center of this Venn diagram, where hopefully you are able to find a way of working that not only provides, but also contributes to the well-being of others and utilizes the way God has wired you. It takes into account all these things. Does that make sense? This is what we should shoot for and work for and aim for because I think this is part and a piece of what it looks like to be faithful with the mina that God has entrusted us with. All right, let's go on. Now the parable takes a darker turn. A third servant came and said, Master, here is your mina that you gave to me. Right? I have kept it safe and uh, in a cloth. Picture that this servant being like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't want to lose it. So wraps it up and hides it. Because I was afraid of you since you are a harsh 
man. You collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. And the king told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they said to him, Master, he has 10 already, right? And the king says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. So we see in this parable, faithfulness with what God has given you, faithfulness and fruitfulness with that is rewarded, but faithlessness is punished. The wicked servant is afraid. And here's what's remarkable to me as I read this and was kept going back to like, what, what went wrong with this servant that he would choose to do this? And it's fascinating to me that this servant was wrong about the heart of his master. And this is part of what leads to not being faithful like he was supposed to be, right? He said, right, I knew you're a harsh man. Is that really the heart of God? No. But the servant thinks it is, and because he has his theology messed up, he lives his life a certain way. He plays it safe because he's so scared of messing it up and losing it. But it's rooted in the fact that he doesn't understand the heart of God. That God gave him these things as a gift and had called him to invest these things. And so again, we're called to be faithful and fruitful. And what does the wicked servant do? Neither one. He isn't even faithful to do business, right? That's what the master said. Do business with this. This is what I want you to do with it. Do business with it. He's not faithful and he's not fruitful. Uh-oh, that's not good. We just lost our screen. That's right. I have my notes here. Uh, and so I want to warn you about a misapplication. And to get at that warning, um, I want to tell a story about our, our kids. Uh, for Thanksgiving for us, we had a great time. We got to go down to Colorado Springs and celebrate with family. And um, Janelle's cousin ended up playing a lot with Ada and Anna and teaching Anna actually how to play chess or at least the basics of chess. And so ever since Thanksgiving, Ada and Anna have been like, Mom, teach us how to play chess. Show us how it works. And Janelle's been trying to teach them, and they were playing the last couple days. And it's interesting because as they played chess, they're learning the hard way that you have to lose pieces in chess. And they really do not like losing pieces. They want to keep all their pieces. And if the other person takes one, they're like, no, I lost a pawn. (laughs) And it's this hard lesson that like, no, no, because your ultimate goal in chess is not lose zero pieces, right? Your ultimate goal in chess is win. And winning in chess involves risk and even loss, right? You have to put some pieces at risk and they're going to be taken out and you accept that risk in order for the bigger goal of winning. And I think that's a good example of what goes wrong with this servant, right? He was so scared of losing anything that he didn't risk at all. Played it totally safe. Only it wasn't safe, was it? The fact is that being faithful to Jesus and investing what he has given us will involve risk. Putting ourselves out there, 
pursuing something that's scary or unknown. That's what faithfulness actually looks like and feels like. And we need to have a bigger goal in life than just playing it safe. So again, the point is this. If you think about this parable, the king, the nobleman who goes away to a far country to receive a kingdom, that's Jesus. It's God. And the servants that he has entrusted Minas with and says, do business until I come back, that's those of us who have chosen to follow him with our lives. We say he, he has entrusted us with gifts and skills and resources and finances. And he says, put these to work while I'm away. And when I come back, I'll hold you accountable. But it's also for the bigger purpose of, I want to give you more responsibilities in the new heavens and the new earth. And so I think of this old phrase I've heard that this life is training for reigning. That there's responsibilities God wants to entrust us with. And so he wants us to be faithful with what he's given us and fruitful with it. And so as we consider the application of this parable to us, this is really simply just a few spheres of our life. Because again, the meanness stands for everything God has given you. And what has God given you? Well, everything, right? Your work. He's called you to be faithful in your work and fruitful with it. If you're able and as much as you're able to find the center of those three circles. He's called you to be faithful in your home and fruitful with your home. You know, I think of a family uh, in our church that thinks of their, their family and their home as a resource that God wants them to steward well, but also bless others with. And they're opening their home all the time to other people and inviting them in and welcoming them in. And I know at the end of the day that that means that that couple doesn't always have as much alone time as they prefer to have together. But they see that as their mina. And they're doing this. They're trying to not just be faithful, but fruitful with it, to use it to bless others, this resource that God has given them. And if you're married, this includes your relationship with your spouse. If you have children, your responsibility to your children. You're called to be faithful to your children, to grow them in the Lord and do what you can to work for maturity in them. That is part of what God has entrusted to you. Your friendships, your finances, your wisdom and your life experiences. If you're retired, your retirement. You may say, well, I'm on a fixed income. Okay. But you have time. And you have energy. Maybe it's not as much energy as there used to be, but you have energy, right? And put that to work, being faithful with it and fruitful with it. And it's important to note too, God does not hold us accountable for what he has not entrusted us with. He has given you a specific mina, this whole entirety of your life and what he's entrusted you with. But he does not hold you account for what he gave someone else. And so there's no reason to play this comparison game, like looking around at other people like, oh, but they have so much and look what they do with it. It's like, good job on them for being faithful. You be faithful with what God has entrusted to you or what he hasn't. Finally, uh, back to verse 14. So what happens in the parable is Jesus tells this parable, right? This nobleman goes away to a far country to receive the kingship. And actually on his way, his subjects hated him 
and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Now think about this in the context that this is a week before Jesus' final week on this earth. What might this be talking about? Maybe the trials that come up six, seven, eight days right after Jesus says these words. Or the Sanhedrin, the religious leadership of his time says, you're a false prophet, you deserve death. And they reject him. We don't want this man to rule over us. And so the very end of the parable addresses this group who sent this delegation. Uh, And the king says, but bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. The end. Nice and fuzzy, friendly parable. That's very harsh, isn't it? Jesus, I thought, can we end with hugs and happiness? (laughs) What's going on here? No, it's it's very harsh, and uh, there's debates among scholars about what this refers to, this this slaughtering of God's enemies. Uh, Some think there was actually a a historic, um, that God did bring his judgment historically. Uh, In A.D. 70, the entire temple was totally devastatedly destroyed, and most of Jerusalem as well. And so some people think that actually that, that was God's judgment, visiting the religious leaders uh, of Israel. Um, it could be a reference to the final judgment and what will happen then to those who reject Jesus' kingship. But either way, I think the point is the same. Jesus is trying to help us realize, and I think he's harsh on purpose because it's true, that there's no middle road when it comes to him. Saying you can be faithful to me, like a faithful servant, and regard me as the king that I am, or you can be a rebel, an enemy. And that's it. You can choose to either be a faithful subject or a rebel, but there's no middle road when it comes to Jesus. There's no riding the fence. And your life and how you live it demonstrates what choice you're making. What are you doing with that mina that God has given you? Now that's a hard note, but I want to connect now to to something you might have missed. Is that Jesus is telling this parable at a specific point in time. Something has just happened. And I want to share with you what had just happened before Jesus told this parable. as a note of encouragement that it's never too late to start investing the mina that God has given you. It says this in Luke 19, verse 1. And Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Okay. Now, again, we don't, we don't feel this as much, but everyone would be like, boo! Right? He's not just a tax collector in collaboration with Rome. He's a chief tax collector over to other tax collectors. He's the instigator in the... And he was rich. And the implication, he's rich because he's overcharging taxes to his fellow Israelites and sending much of that money to Rome. But Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus, this rabbi he's heard about. He says he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. And this is something I can relate to. 
<laughs> Kirk and I were joking about this. <laughs> uh, but he's short. He can't see over the crowd of people, right? What's, what's he going to do? And so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And again, another thing that we just missed out on is how embarrassing or shameful this would have been. That, that number one, he's running around. Men, proper men do not run. The first century culture, just don't run. It's not dignified. But he's running like he wants to see Jesus. And they also don't climb trees. But he wants to see Jesus. And so he embarrasses himself. He shames himself by running ahead of where Jesus is going and climbing this tree. He has to see Jesus. There's something going on in his heart. And when Jesus came to the place, he stops. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Now, now kids, when I was a kid, I heard this story. I was like, Jesus is so rude. My mom told me you never invite yourself over to someone's house. <laughs> and like, what is going on here, Jesus? You're breaking the, the social rules. But no, no, uh, rabbis um, were very honored in the society and Jesus was considered a great rabbi and everyone would have been longing to have this famous rabbi to their home. It would have bring, brought honor to them. And it's almost like this assumption walking around that there's like this open invitation from every single person. Like, please stay with us. Please stay with us. And so this is not Jesus being rude. It's the opposite. It's Jesus honoring Zacchaeus. Saying, I want you to have the honor of hosting me at your home. So Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. And pause. I, I want you to think about this story of what really happened in light of that parable that Jesus tells next. Because I think it's fascinating that if you said, at this point in Zacchaeus's life, what has he been doing with his mina? Serving himself, right? He's not been honoring God with his stuff. He's been taking advantage of his fellow Israelites and becoming rich off them. Has he been investing his mina the way God wants him to? No. But he comes to Jesus. And after the people are grumbling, but, but Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And I love this story because it illustrates that it's never too late to start. It's never too late to change, turn around, change your life direction, and start investing your mina that God has entrusted you with the way he wants you to. And so if you're here today or you're watching, maybe you're new to this and you're like, oh man, I've been wasting it and I know it. I haven't been using my family or my finances, my resources, my home. I haven't been doing any of that with regard to how God would want me to be faithful with it or fruitful with it. And I just want to encourage you with the story of Zacchaeus and what Jesus says about his mission. He came to seek and to save, not those who were faithful their entire lives and got everything right, he came to seek and save the lost. And if that's you, you are welcome to follow him. 
as he wants to save you. And it's never too late to start that journey. So we're going to sing a song now that celebrates Jesus and this complete picture of how he came for us to save us when this world was dark and even when our hearts were against him. That's when he came to seek and to save the lost because all of us at one time were that lost. And this is your time to consider, am I being faithful and am I being fruitful? Because again, God has given you this mina, which is your life in its entirety with all the resources and the relationships and the stuff, the possessions. This is your mina. Are you being faithful with it and fruitful with it? And if so, this is a time of celebration, saying, thank you, God, for helping me be faithful. And if there's one aspect of that life, of your life, that needs to change, this is a time just to talk to God about that in the honesty of your heart and with him. Say, God, would you lead me? I haven't been faithful in this area. Would you help me grow? Would you direct me? And Holy Spirit, would you empower me to live the way you've called me to? So would you stand with me? And worship team, invite you back up and... um, Remember that after the song, we have one more aspect to our service today. But let's respond together now in prayer and in song. God, I thank you that you do entrust us with so much. Thank you that every good and perfect gift that we have in our lives ultimately comes from your hand. And help us to be faithful with those gifts that you've given us. Help us to be faithful and to seek to be fruitful, to to grow, to do this business that you've given us to do until your return, Jesus. God, for each of us, would you, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts right now? Would you have your will in our hearts and our lives? Would you help us to listen to what you're speaking to us and then to respond appropriately, even if that does and will take courage and risk? And thank you that you are with us as we move forward from this place and seek to do your will. In your name we pray, amen.